I talk to so many moms who say, Brooke, I want to pray for my kids. I just don't know how to start. That's exactly why I wrote my digital resource, How to Pray God's Word for Your Children. It's your how-to guide, giving you a very short, simple, step-by-step process for how I first started praying God's Word. Download it right away, and I'm not joking, you'll be praying God's Word by this afternoon. All you need is a Bible, a notebook, and a pencil, or your phone, if you prefer, somewhere to create a short list. You can find that freebie in today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible, or even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Praying Mom. Simply text MOMS to 71326 to help today. That's M-O-M-S or visit give.crew.org forward slash moms. Again, that's give.cru.org forward slash moms. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. Hey friends, welcome to the Million Praying Moms podcast. My name is Brooke McLaughlin. The mission of our time together on this podcast is to help you learn to make prayer the first and best response to the challenges of parenting. A partnership, if you will, between you and the God who loves your children more than you do. Together, we're learning to pray God's word for our children in the areas they need it most. Last week, we did some important background work covering the updated research on how social media is affecting our kids, specifically post-pandemic, and we discussed general principles for parents who are talking to their kids about social media. Today, we're giving you the most practical and easy-to-understand guide to the top five social media platforms tweens and teens are using in 2023. Join me as I interview Chris McKenna again, who is the founder of Protect Young Eyes for part two of our conversation on the impact of social media in our homes. We get very specific about the various apps on your child's phone and help you understand what they're meant to do, the good, bad, and ugly about how they're actually affecting today's tweens and teens. And we do that so that you can make a decision about whether or not they belong in your home. If you're a parent desperately trying to understand social media and its effect on your children, this episode is for you. And to help you know whether or not the time is right for your child to have a cell phone, we've put together a simple cell phone checklist that you can download for free. Just head over to the show notes to download your copy right away. And while you're there, remember to pick up your prayer guide to accompany this season, praying God's word for your child to have wisdom. In it, you'll find biblical teaching on what the Bible says about choosing to live a life based on God's wisdom and scripture-inspired prayers for your family to choose a life of wisdom over a life of foolishness, know how to make decisions, stand strong in the face of temptations, know which paths to take, and how to understand the life God has called us to live as believers. Download your copy now when you visit today's show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. After a word from our sponsors, we'll dive into this important conversation. 
It goes without saying, but the Bible has changed so many lives. Take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible, or even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many are facing. That's why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country, and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my book, Praying Mom. Simply text MOMS to 71326 to help today. That's M-O-M-S or visit give.crew.org forward slash moms. Again, that's give.cru.org forward slash moms. Message and data rates may apply. Available to U.S. addresses only. So let's just start going there. Talk to us about the top five most important social media platforms in this in 2023 that parents need to be aware of and need to understand so that they can know if they're right for their children. And I need to say, I am a 45-year-old woman of a 16 and 18-year-old who are using social media, and I fully expect to learn something. So teach us what we need to know. <laughs> so social media as a definition is, is strange because I don't think kids really think about it in that way. They think about where do I interact? Where do I consume digital media? It just so happens to be that some of those are classified in the app store as social media. But Snapchat if you go to social media in the Apple App Store, it's not classified as social media, right? It's classified as a photo Interesting. app because that's how they want to be classified. So that's where okay. they put themselves, okay? TikTok as a video app. So the top five apps where teens are consuming digital media are YouTube, Be Real, Snapchat, Instagram, and TikTok. Those are the five, right? YouTube is by far the app that is most used by the most United States tweens and teens, right? And we underestimate its power on our kids. YouTube has TikTok-like content called shorts that are just as addictive because of their just quick entertainment cycle, right? Quick 30, 60 second doses of dopamine-driven, I'm going to be entertained content. Exactly the same sort of thing as TikTok. They copy TikTok because they see how engaging it is for young brains. Okay. So we need to be careful of that. We can't just let kids peruse YouTube unsupervised. I want it to be in restricted mode, especially for young users. Always. You can do that through some of the settings. We've written a whole complete guide on YouTube, or you can do that at the Wi-Fi level. If they're on a Wi-Fi only device, like a Chromebook through an Router like Griffin, which is what we recommend, right? You can lock in restricted mode across your entire home network. But those are some things to keep in mind there, which then leads into, I mean, TikTok has all of that kind of content, longer form even. And it just has this, as I recently wrote, TikTok has the most addictive blend of content that I have ever experienced. If you've ever used it and parents, I want you to use it. You're like, ah, I don't know. I want you to use it. You can never really understand how a child is interacting with any app, let alone 
never understand the true intoxicating nature of TikTok unless you have actually experienced it yourself. And you start to see how your own little pauses and watches and every twitch and wiggle that you make in TikTok becomes fodder for its algorithm and it figures you out so quickly and now feeds you this completely addictive version of itself, like a hydra that is shaped uniquely for each and every one of us. You have to experience it. There is no app in the United States that is having a more profound impact on the way that teenagers think than TikTok. There are apps that impact the way that teens behave. And I believe an app like Snapchat has an adverse effect on teen behavior. But I believe that TikTok has the most profound impact on teen thinking and beliefs about the world than anything else. All right, explain that. Help us understand why it has that power. Well, because the way in which its content is delivered to teens is so uniquely crafted to a teen that if a teen shows any kind of curiosity in a certain flavor of something, they're going to get the most addictive version of that, which starts to feel normalized. And a teen brain is extremely vulnerable to suggestions. So now they start to believe the things that they're seeing. Remember, it's during this developmental time of identity and self-formation. Now the mirror that they're seeing in front of them for multiple hours a day is saying, feel this way, believe yes. this thing, right? About yourself. And that's what we all look for during that time. We shape our identity or we shape our language or we shape our emotions by looking for others to help shape it with us. That's why we reflect outward during those four phases. We're looking for others to shape who we are by observing how they are. That's how we shape ourselves, right? So. That's why it's because when you look at the challenges or you look at the different ideas that are being shared on TikTok, number one, they're all on it. And then number two, it just like a Pied Piper. I just put this on a post. It is a Pied Piper of teen culture and the algorithm is the flute leading them around good or bad. Now there's some good content, right? If you find yourself, you know, following certain, you know, Christian influencers, they're, they're out there too, but I'm just saying, whatever it is, it is going to influence them. Yeah. It will. Yeah. In 45 year old woman lingo, I noticed that Facebook is not one of your top five for our kids. And I, I get that, but I still stay connected on Facebook. And I think the people sure, of my generation do, but I would liken it a little bit to going to Amazon or just Google and searching for a mascara brand that I like, or what is the best mascara or, you know, whatever men might look for something different. What's the best tool? I don't know. I'm generalizing, but I'm searching for something because I want to learn about it. And then when I go back to Facebook, there is going to be an ad about that there. And that's a completely legitimate form of marketing, but it's leading my thoughts back to that product over and over and over again. And I'm actually determining what Facebook is feeding me in way of their ads by what I'm searching for in other places. And so sometimes people say, well, Facebook is listening to me. I don't know that they're listening to your voice, but they're looking at what you're searching for. And that's determining in some ways what you're being fed on the platform. And so TikTok, it seems to me like based on what you've been saying, 
that it's similar to that. They're looking for things. So for example, my kids to even go back to YouTube have loved over the years, the dude perfect videos. And that's an example of a a relatively good thing, you know, fairly clean thing for them to be looking at. And so if they're going to TikTok to try to find some TikTok videos of Dude Perfect, then TikTok is going to keep feeding them things in that vein. So that is the way that as I'm understanding what you're saying, that is the way that TikTok is influencing the way they think. They start out at one place and because they show an interest there, TikTok keeps feeding and feeding. And of course, the more we're fed that information again and again and again, it does change and influence the way we think about it. Am I right in that? You are similar. And is it listening? I don't know. I think some things are listening. I do think our iPhones hear and shape things and they share content and Alexa is listening. I don't know if it's listening as much as what that should show us is how incredibly intelligent these applications are and how much of our data is freely available between these applications shared freely all day long, right? There's no such thing as digital privacy, zero. So I think that's what that should indicate to us. So yeah, I think it's it's similar in that way, but teen brains are exponentially more susceptible right. to suggestion than our brains are. And yet right. we still struggle with that kind of suggestion. So Yeah. And I say this often, and I think it applies directly here, is that the human brain is not fully developed until about age 24, 23, 24, 25 years old. And I've known a lot of 24, 25 year olds who've still made bad decisions. So I think, you know, we have to understand the fact that our young teenagers, their brains are not wired yet. They are not developed enough yet to be able to make the decisions that we as adults in their 40s still sometimes struggle with. And if we struggle with it, we can only assume that they struggle with it. Yeah, for sure. And that's where an app like Snapchat, right? If we want to talk about Snapchat and, and Instagram for a minute, those apps haven't changed. Their features haven't changed all that much since the last time that we spoke. Other than, you know, Instagram has now added threads, which is their version of Twitter. A little bit different, but similar. It's just words that you you know, thread out from time to time. They also have gone all in on reels, which are TikTok's version of videos, right? Just like YouTube copied them, you know, Instagram did the same thing. Even Snapchat has copied TikTok with their different spotlight videos that they have. And everybody is copying TikTok, right? When Snapchat and Meta and Google are copying you, you know, you're the king, right? So that should be an indication as to the influence that TikTok has had on teen culture, but also tech culture, right? And so Snapchat, which is an app, uh, honestly, that I have actually a really good relationship with leadership at Snapchat. I talk to them all the time. They're very open to my suggestions and ideas. They are good to work with and they're good at listening. The snaps though, in general, based on what I know about teen neurology is, I mean, whether you're 14 or 40, if you know something is going to disappear, you're just bound to take risk. And that's always been my issue with Snapchat. It was in the first podcast. It's still my issue with Snapchat today that I just want more care. I want, if you're going to have an app that is used by 14 and 40 year olds, at least treat the 14 year olds uniquely based on the unique developmental spot that they are in. 
right? Provide more protections, provide some AI that could automatically detect nudity coming or going, interrupt that dopamine driven limbic system transaction so that you activate a little bit of that thinking part of the brain that isn't fully developed until 24 or 25. Give them a moment to think with a pop-up that says, are you sure you want to send this? Would you want this to be seen by others outside of the person you're sending it to? Interrupt that transaction enough knowing that sometimes 15 and 16 year old brains make emotional driven decisions that ultimately negatively impact them. That's the sort of treatment that I would love an app with that kind of feature to have. Instagram then is going to have a lot more of that comparison. It always has. I think what really bothers me about Instagram now is it's really an ad-driven platform. You are bombarded with advertisements more than ever, more than when we first spoke. I know everybody is kind of sick of that. Now, there are some things you can do inside of that, but I think that speaks to the amount of targeted advertising that's going on, even for our teens as they're seeing those ads and are seeing influencers saying and supporting certain things. But not a whole lot has changed in terms of its features. What has changed for both Snapchat and Instagram, though, is that they have, since we spoke last, actually released some parental controls. For Snapchat, some of the first parental controls called Family Center that they released that we worked with them on a couple of years ago, You know, there are things that parents can see. They can see the amount of interaction that their kids are having with certain followers. Um, they have now just recently released some sensitive content controls, which I'm waiting to see how those play out. Do they over-censor things that I think kids should be able to see versus under, you know, some of that is still being worked out, but, you know, they're putting some of that in place. Instagram now has some default settings for kids who have the right birthday in there. The number one thing that I would tell parents that regardless of whether you give your kids any of those is always make sure you give the right birthday. Now, I would say use the right year. I'm not a big fan of giving these platforms the exact birthday of our children because that's 50% of the equation to steal anybody's identity, their birthday and the last four of their social security number. But I tell my boys, we have a certain day in a certain month, along with the year that they were actually born that we use on the platforms that they use. And they know that's the one thing they can lie about online, right? Because from a (laughs) privacy perspective, I want to guard that. And that's the way to engage some of those age-driven defaults is to actually be involved in the setting up of the account to get the age right. Um, And then that, you know, leads us Finally, to be real, which is fairly new of those five, the newest on the scene, we wouldn't have even have talked about that one the last time we spoke because it's, you know, really within the past 18 or so months that it's really jettisoned itself onto the scene here. It's started off pretty simply. It just randomly during the day and you get this two minute window to send a photo And then you send that photo and everybody can see your B-reels and it's a two-sided photo. It's both the photo of the front camera and of what's going on in the back camera. So it's kind of a unique view on the world, sort of a raw view of the world. Snapchat wants to be more raw footage and that's what B-reel is as opposed to the more polished footage and version of life that you see on Instagram. And so B-reel went that way. But now you're starting to see even more social media features brought in in terms of commenting and sharing and a feed and things like that. So it is much like some of the others now, but it, you know, it still makes the list and, you know, still has some of the same risks 
in terms of content, some of the same dopamine-driven sort of properties around when is the B-real notification going to show up and, oh, I have to get it within the two-minute window or I feel like I'm being penalized or not as cool because B-real does penalize you a little bit by saying, you know, you're outside of the two minute window. And so that can drive some behavior. So, you know, all of these have some of their unique attributes that depending on your kid, depending on where their vulnerabilities are, depending on what you know about their choices, you would need to weigh what they are and aren't ready for. So there you go. Yeah, that's awesome. Such good, good information. One of the things that you said early on is that you highly recommended that parents get on the social media platforms as well and have a presence there. But there are limitations. For example, I'm on Snapchat. I never use it for anything other than talking to my children. We have now reached a point with my oldest son where if I text him, he doesn't text me back. He doesn't even look at his text messages ever. Like if I look at his phone, he'll have at any given point, 50 unread text messages. I have to remind him, your grandparents are texting you. They don't have Snapchat. You need to answer your text. But if I want to talk to him, I snap him. Like I send him a, a, you know, a conversation that way. So that's the only thing I ever use it for. But I can't see, even as a parent, I know that he's there. I can see certain things. I've never used Be Real, but I know that my kids are on it. So I just downloaded it a second ago. How much does that actually help? Having your own account, of course, it brings in an awareness of how the app works, which is a good thing. But how much can we actually watch what our children are doing just by having the app? Well, you can't, right? I mean, the apps don't want you to mirror, nor do they allow you to mirror your child's activity. So what I would say is it's not just the act of creating an account. It's the act of creating an account the same age as your child so that you experience it the same way that they would at that age. That's the seven-day rule. I want every parent to use the apps that their children use not just download them. I don't care what Disney princess is on it. Use it for seven straight days to see what ads, interactions, features take place inside of the app. Then you make the decision as to whether or not they're ready along with what you know about your child. Then you may create an account that you connect to as an adult, as a parent to your son or daughter, and you let them know kind of what the parameters are around that. For example, I wasn't allowed to comment on my daughter's photos on Instagram. I could look at them and so forth, but we sort of had the agreement that I wasn't going to comment on them because I'm dorky dad and I wasn't going to do that, (laughs) right? But I think the sheer knowledge for some kids that you're there and involved is a deterrent for some behavior. That's the spirit of that. And it's calling out the fact that on Snapchat, for example, right? You have it, your son has it. You know, you still can't see his snaps and it's calling that out. It's like, honey, I'm going to have Snapchat because this is the way I'm going to communicate with you. I know that I can't see the things that you are messaging back and forth to your friends in Snapchat, but you know what? That shouldn't change your behavior inside of it. I'm going to ask you from time to time if anything's happening in there that isn't good and honorable and excellent and praiseworthy, right? Of all these attributes, these Philippians 4, 8 attributes, the things we feed our brain. And if you tell me yes, you know what? I'm going to believe you. I could pick up your phone and go through it. I really don't want to do that, amazing son of mine. Do you know how stressful it is being your Snapchat police? I don't want to do that. So let's just agree right now. I'm letting you use it. Aren't I an amazingly kind and benevolent parent that I'm letting you use it? Number two, I'm going to have an account because, well, I'm just going to be in there and just sort of 
frog around and see what it's like. And I'll send you messages from time to time. And number three, I can't see everything you're doing in there, but gosh darn it, I've got to trust you a little bit and be honest with me if something happens in those interactions that you think is harmful to you. And I'll never be mad if you do. And just call out those things openly and honestly, put them in the light so that you build some of those as we talk about bridges of digital trust with our kiddos even by calling out the things you can't do. Simply putting the things you can't do out conversationally, I think takes a little bit of power away from them and a little bit of influence over our kiddos by just acknowledging what we know we can't do with them, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, it does. That's so good. Uh, As we wrap things up, Chris, talk to that parent right now that's listening who is really stressed out about all of this. Um, They're struggling to keep up with everything. They don't understand how the world works or how this world in particular works and feel like they're just constantly playing catch up and wonder if maybe they just can't. Maybe they just can't get on top of it. Talk to that parent that's listening right now and give them a little bit of hope. Sure. Yeah. I would pray for the peace that transcends our understanding. I would pray that the Holy Spirit, maybe with words that have already been written, Right, Psalm 119.37, turn my child's eyes away from worthless things, preserve his life, her life, according to your word, right? And then I would sit down and say all those exact same things to your son or daughter, amazing son or daughter of mine. I am stressed out by this. I don't understand it. I gave you a device sometimes that really scares me. Not that you've done anything wrong, but it's because I feel like I put a hundred million people in your pocket. And what kind of parent would I be if that didn't freak me out from time to time? I don't know how to handle all this. I don't understand all of the apps, but I need to know that you're okay. My understanding shouldn't equate to my trust in you. I want you to know beyond any doubt that no matter what happens, even the things that I don't get, that you, amazing daughter or son of mine, can land safely and softly with me. And if there's something that's bothering you, something you don't get, bring it to me. We'll work on it together. Google me. I care about you a lot more than any search function in any of these places. I just want you to know my heart. I want you to know that I care. I want you to know that I'm overwhelmed, but that doesn't mean I don't trust you. Right? So I want us to just express the things we're feeling. We tell our kids to share their feelings with us. As a parent, I think we hold on to all of that and we allow that lack of understanding or that anxiety about technology to then dictate a fear-based version of digital parenting that only creates an us versus them kind of relationship instead of an us with them. Ultimately, we want our kids to use technology well, but that can't work from a position of fear. I think that can work better from a position of openness, of honesty, of even the things we're fearful of, because they might look at us and go, you know what, mom, I agree. I don't want that to happen either. I don't want to look at pornography. I know it's hurtful and harmful and a distorted view of love. I don't want to send or receive, you know, naked photos. Maybe you tell your son, you know, honey, I don't want you to ever take a picture of your penis to send it to somebody. And he may go, you know what, mom, you're right. I would never do that. That's so dumb, right? And I think they can help us come out of those positions of fear 
by just having some good, honest conversations. And then we're both in a better spot. You've put it in the light out where everything can be dealt with, always better in the light. And sometimes they can help us deal with that fear. So that's what I want that parent listening to that to go, you don't have to figure it all out. I want to release you from that need in your head that is telling you you have to figure it all out. You don't. But I do want you to talk about all the things that you haven't figured out. That's the spot that I want you to try to get to. So good. Chris, tell everybody how they can get engaged with what you're doing. What's the right way to follow you? What resources would you offer them to help further this conversation and work that they're doing in their own homes? Sure. Well, they know our name. So any space you go, Instagram, Facebook, online, just type in Protect Young Eyes and you're bound to bump into us. (laughs) But when it comes to now what and how you can feel engaged and informed, we've recently created a private community of our own called the Protect Young Eyes Table, the table. And we want parents to come to this table. It's our own private community. It's not a closed Facebook group. It's ours that we built. There you'll find resources you can download, ongoing webinars, office hours with me if you want to ask some one-on-one questions, just all kinds of help for parents that just sort of want that ongoing community of connection with other parents who are making similar decisions. So come to that. It's not on our website yet. Maybe by the time that you might listen to this, it is. But you can find on social media, particularly on Instagram, there's a story highlight that's called The Table, and there's a way to connect to it there. And maybe by the time you listen to this, if you type in PYE The Table, it'll be more out there. But it is the spot that I want parents to go to, Brooke. Awesome. All right. Thank you for being with us, Chris. This has been so helpful. You're welcome. My pleasure. God bless everybody. Thanks for hanging out with me today, friends. Don't forget to get your copy of our new prayer guide, Praying God's Word for Your Child to Have Wisdom. You can find it and more about Chris McKenna and Protect Young Eyes now in the show notes at millionprayingmoms.com. Till next time, friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the Million Praying Moms podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Go check them out. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.